It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999 from under a bearskin here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart. Uh, and I am Phil Iscope. And with us once again, Darren Franich uh, from Weekly, but you probably know him from really trying to get Resident Evil on that zombie draft, like over and over. It's like... <laughs> He's like, I, I, I have to play Resident Evil. I know there are six more Romero movies, but when are you going to let me play Resident Evil? Yep. Uh, why did you push it so hard, Darren? 
<laughs> in, in fairness, in fairness, I think I just headed my discards and said, "You never played I think it's it. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah. I think it's. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a fun movie. That's that's that that is a movie that I will it's stand a good movie. for. It's a good franchise. I would even go as far as to say, like a fun franchise as a whole. Th- those are bold statements that I can't necessarily condone, but <laughs> but I will just say that first one. There are very cool scenes in it. Maybe the sure. coolest scene, arguably stolen from a different movie, but you know, homage is the most sincere form sure. of flattery. Um, so I I like that first Resident Evil movie. It's it's not quite as good as the video games, but it also has nothing to do with the video games. So it it, it stands on its own, uh, one shambling foot. <laughs> I you know I would also say too that like. Mila Jovovich, Jovovich, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing it, is a legit action hero that I feel like we never really capitalized on. Like, she's fucking awesome in those Resident Evil movies. And I guess on some level, she was just like, I I don't know, I don't really want... But, like, how is she not... How did she not land in one of a million Marvel movies? How does she not land in one of these things? Unless she just doesn't want to do it anymore, which... You know more power to her, but she's just cool, and I feel like we're kind of leaving money on the table. Yeah, you especially feel that in the third Resident Evil movie, Extinction, which is when the clone stuff starts coming in, and you're just like, this is a cool screen presence. And admittedly, yeah. those movies were like the mom and pop, like you know, cafe version of a franchise with her and her husband sort of you know yeah. working on it yeah. so long. But I, yeah, you are just like, there are many many performers who are cast in much bigger movies with yeah. way less screen presence than this. No, for sure. She's we talk- very she had a very odd career in yeah. in a way because she really blew you know like kind of blew the doors off in fifth element for sure and we did the messenger it which did. was her 1999 film and i that was an oscar play you know they yep. really did think that she was gonna are you, you know, a messenger kind of, fan darren i, I mean t- it's a mind-blowing face, movie <laughs> it's a mind-blowing movie like i i rented it uh, on vhs yeah. thinking it was going to kind of be, you know, kind of a like sword play type movie and having like a 13th warrior, song. if you will, yeah. a 13th yeah. warrior type <laughs> film, um, which at the time I really, really liked uh, that, that genre of film. Sure. Uh, and yeah, I was not expecting all the like Dustin Hoffman as devil or angel, uh, yeah. just, just the general grotesquerie of the messenger. It's yeah. yeah. It's, it's a weird it's, movie. It is. It, it is. It doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, <laughs> And like it's not. I'm not sure if John Malkovich makes the movie or breaks the movie. Correct. Correct. Um, That's the right assessment. Because like it's weird. Because it's if <laughs> if you think the movie is trash, he makes the movie. If yeah. you think the movie is like almost kind of good, like I do, <laughs> and that she's that she's really giving like a hundred and ten percent, then he kind of undermines what she's doing, which is really what I think. I think she like is you know giving a really, really, you know, kind of full, full-hearted, full-bodied performance. Well, and, um, and the, yeah. the great thing about, about her performance there, which I think is also great in some of the Resident Evils, is, like, she can look really insane when yes. she wants to. Yes. And the fact that that movie is kind of at times in a way that's not fully digested, digging into what motivated Joan of Arc. There's interesting stuff there mixed in with a lot of other. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, it's, I would, I would argue actually, and it is actually, it it does connect to the film we're going to talk about today, 13th warrior, which I think is also uh, treading in really fertile, interesting terrain um, that I'm not sure everybody got their arms fully around. Um, 
but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's an interesting movie. Like, you know, Darren, you were on for for uh, for Three Kings, another uh, a really numeral, interesting movie. another numeral movie that you were on for, <laughs> um, and, which you know is also got a lot of big ideas. I think is a lot more successful than this film. But Thirteenth Warrior and and Messenger, there's more in common there than you would than you kind of would think. I mean, two very successful action directors who decided to take it upon themselves to try to kind of do a a period piece fictionalized account of some kind of versions of history, like mixed with the supernatural in a weird way. Like it's it's they're, they're weirdly kind of similar. Right. They're, they're both kind of tackling these myths. It feels yeah. like in both cases you have the directors, Luke Besson and John McTiernan, these like action titans who just mm-hmm. were running rampant through the, 90s, the yeah. 80s, you know, <laughs> into yeah. the 90s. It's kind of clear that they're kind of trying to do what I think to them would have been like, you know, as guys kind of raised in a different time, would have been like, well, I got to do my epic. I got to do my Lawrence right. Arabia. Right. I got to do my kind of David Lean movie. Mm-hmm. Not that either film even remotely feels that way for reasons <laughs> that are worth kind of talking about with 13th yeah. Warrior especially. But it's interesting to see how that gets mixed with, yeah, this kind of perversion of that. A lot of gross stuff. 13th Warrior especially is one of the muddiest movies ever made. Yeah. It's a muddy uh, movie. It's a it's which, a brown movie. <laughs> it is a it is just a, it's just a it's impressive how much was spent on making a movie that is largely yeah. obscured by mud. Um, well, it's it's interesting because I feel like you're also seeing two very different careers in terms of Luke Besson, which for good or bad has always been pretty much in total control of what he makes. Right from a monetary perspective. France just gives him as much money as he wants to do basically whatever he wants. Um, and well, he's, he's the best of them. Uh, sure. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to stay out of that, but I'm just going to say yeah. this, that I think that this film, which is, you've got McTiernan, who is obviously a, you know, American filmmaker, as you said, lots of very successful action films under his belt, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, Predator. Um, and and for whatever reason, he decides to do this film, which he has not really explained <laughs> why he wanted to do this film, but he did. And it just, it's touchstone. So it's Disney. There's a lot of money there. It, it kind of, I, I would argue that on some level, Crichton felt like perhaps he really had his hands in the pie here in a way that, I, you know, I, I don't, I mean, he took over the film and directed the reshoots. So like, clearly he was very involved um, it feels like a troubled movie, and you really do sense it in the cut. I mean, this movie—it's a, dis- it, it's a yeah. disaster production. Yeah, the yeah. story—the story was <laughs> that you can see the, Darren's face right now, just gleefully yeah, smiling. And and the story, this, as far as I, I remember from what I read, is yeah. uh, McTiernan directed it. They spent sixty million dollars. They finished yep. the film. The film was not great. Test screening said this is awful. Yep. They came back and they said we have to do some reshoots. Now Crichton did direct the reshoots on one stage, <laughs> and Victorina directed other reshoots on another stage. Oh, and they shit. basically had a they basically had a bake off yeah. between these two versions of the endings. And they went with Michael Crichton's ending, director of Coma and versus. And Westworld, which is like like unwatchable schlock, like the flattest looking movie you'll ever see, um, makes the itchy and scratchy land episode look like Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, But but uh, he he beats out the director of fucking but Die Hard. 
Correct. And it's it and it's better sequel, Diary of the Vengeance. And uh, and they a bold and, a hot take from you know, me so much, man. Like, watch out, France. Yeah. Watch out, Die Hard. Yeah, you like, know me. And, you know, thoughts, dodge, dodge like, you, know you know Jordan Jordan Cucciola feels the same way. Uh, so now what? I mean, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> she also loves Escape from L.A. So take no, she doesn't. She, just, yeah, she does. She just, I really also like Escape from LA. I also like Escape oh, from LA. Wow. But 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 I, I do want to zero in on something you're talking about, Kenny. Yeah. Well, let's, let's yeah, talk, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So that's basically the, that's basically the nuts that's and bolts the, they want to spending. Yeah. They want to spending a hundred million more dollars, it's a hundred and sixty million dollar film to tack on this ending at the end that basically is like like let's get the secondary. I also just uh, want to say one quick thing, Darren, before you jump in, which is that is fucking crazy. What studio says you guys can both do reshoots and we'll pick one. That's like, and we'll just burn the money on the other fucking reshoots. It's insane. Please, Darren, go ahead. Well, it, it, it's just such an interesting time for both of them. I mean, one thing that's easy to forget is Michael yes. Crichton was such a dominant figure in the 90s. Bulletproof. In a way that, I mean, you have to think about an author, you know, someone on the level of like your J.K. Rowling's, but, mm-hmm. but somehow doing it, not necessarily with a franchise, just like, you know, between drafts. He's the Park. franchise. He, he was the franchise. Yeah. And this film, if I recall correctly, because after seeing it when I was a kid, I loved it so much that I went out to get Eaters of the Dead, the book it's based on. Sure. Uh, which is almost unreadable. But uh, this was an earlier book by him. Yes. And it has some of that feeling of it's the mid nineties. Crichton is hot. Whatever he's done before, mm-hmm. we got to, this could be the next Jurassic Park. We got to blast it. And then you have McTiernan, who was coming off of a great era that was now just beginning its general descent after last action here and everything. So it just, it seems like you had these big creative voices given a lot of clearly from the studio, a lot of money and a lot of room and just neither of them really figuring out, it seems to me what they were doing. Cause with on the McTiernan side, there's parts of this movie where I am kind of like, Oh, this could be like, like yeah. predator with Vikings. Yep. You know, there's even like some lines that kind of echo predator in terms of like, you know, it, um, it could have been if they made one big, one well, big difference. Well, 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 I think it was like 20 big difference. <laughs> <laughs> they only really needed to do one thing. What's what they need to do. Make them actual bears, <laughs> actual bear men, <laughs> actual bear men. Cause when I thought they were actual bear men for bear men for a second, mm-hmm. I, I was so in <laughs> And then, then I went far out. You were like, yeah. you were like, ah, oh, this is this is like too blandly realistic. We need, we need, we need true fantasy in this. In this, yes, that, that, that is what yeah. I was like, yes, because yeah. I, I, you know, I remember seeing Congo, which was kind of the first one, the ultimate, after, ultimate post Jurassic Park crazy yes. ways. Yes, the yeah, first yeah, one yeah. after Sphere and, and Congo. Think again, Sphere is, you know, Sphere has that like, what uh, we're grasping for straws. Whereas, even though it was a big novel, yes. uh, like Andromeda Strain, like there were like these big Crichton novels that felt nothing like Jurassic Park. Whereas Congo was like Jurassic Park with silverback apes and uh, or silverback gorillas, and I, but they were like super, they were like super intelligent, right? And yeah. they were they were they were like super evolved, and there was something sci-fi about it. And I thought like when I thought that these were actual bear men, I like I, I perked up, like here we go, bear men. I I, I felt the same way. To be here, here's the thing. I wanted them to be bear men, but I also <laughs> knew that they weren't bear men because I was just like, I don't think it's going to go there. But I, but I, 
I, I want to just uh, dig into the Crichton thing for a quick second here because Crichton is a fascinating career in the sense that like he has kind of stages. He is a big deal in the eighties. I mean, and Drama Strains is is big. Um, Westworld, for what you know, whether you like it or not, was a you know relatively well, big Westworld's movie. a big deal. Um, he he has all these like he's he's no slouch in the eighties. Now, obviously, you're t- you're talking about the seventies, Phil. Sorry, seventies. Yes. Yeah. He obviously that all goes into fucking hyperdrive when Jurassic yeah. Park hits, right? And then it's like the guy's putting out a book basically once a year, it feels like. And it's one kind of pseudoscience thing after another. And he finds a really interesting way to kind of ground his stuff in believable pseudoscience. That's kind of the, the world that he traffics yeah. in. I mean, I, I wonder, like, if you guys feel the same way as a kid in the 90s, I felt like Michael Crichton books were not just fun, but they were yeah. also like scientific and they totally. were, they were, <laughs> I'm glad you used the word pseudoscientific. Yeah. I did not think of them as pseudo. I was like, <laughs> this is like bleeding yeah, yeah. edge, like yes. direct from yes, the front yes. lines of what's going on with science right now. <laughs> yeah. like, how, does kinda, how does he know? How does he what's, know? What's kind of crazy is like, <laughs> you guys are old enough to yeah. remember a pre-Jurassic Park world when nobody thought that, or nobody taught yep. that 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 dinosaurs and birds had anything yep. to do with each other, yeah, that was not taught. It well, I remember distinctly: were they mammals or were they reptiles? Yep. And after that, people started to take that idea seriously yep. to the point where now it's just what is taught. It, it, that is what is taught in schools that they are direct, the direct antecedent to birds. Yep. So that's interesting to me in its own way because I think you're kind of right, Darren. That like it, it's more that you, it's it's more than even like we thought it was bleeding edge. Like it kind of was. Yeah. Like the DNA amber stuff, like that kind of has been done. Well, so it's, it's also he. I, I I would argue I never knew what a Velociraptor was before Jurassic Park. It's like he invented a dinosaur. He didn't. But like there is something about the 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 way that Crichton was yeah. able to yeah. you know excavate these pieces of science that feel like he invented something. The the, the Velociraptor shit's amazing to me, right? He he basically he basically just found the like the the new cool dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and your hometown so NBA you're team. Saying, named you're the team you're saying what you needed more of from Thirteen yeah. Fourier was like a scientifically almost accurate bear person Correct. who Correct. comes out of comes out Correct. of a cave. Yes, they have a whole bear culture. Correct. There's a there's a big bear ah. mother. Better who, movie. Better movie. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded. Let's. I wouldn't have minded if it was some kind of bear human community where humans had been uh-huh. raised by bears just because sure. they lived in the remote parts of like, you know, Scandinavia mm-hmm. and they would like kind of take it on bear stuff. <laughs> but uh, I, I think, I think if it were bear men, I bear would have stuff? liked it. Can I think I, if it were bear men, I would have liked it more, but it would have been less great. So apparently in the book, and you probably remember this, Darren, but in the book, they are revealed to be, uh, Neanderthals, descendants of Neanderthals. Well, in this, the mist monsters, which is what we're sort of alluded to in the in the movie, are never really explained. 
as to what their their background is. So, Phil, you're exactly right. But if it's okay, because nope, I've been please, waiting please. 20 years to talk about this, let's 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 pull the curtain back yeah. even further. I believe that in Eaters of the Dead, <laughs> yeah. Michael Crichton puts forward that he specifically wrote the book because one of his friends, a kind of unnamed professor, told him, you know, Beowulf is very boring. To which Michael Crichton said. I can make it not boring. So then Michael <laughs> Crichton, the writer of like Congo Andromeda Strain. and Andromeda Strain, you know, a fun series of books, also the writer of Timeline. Michael Crichton said, I can take the, the raw, disgusting clay that is Beowulf, one of the most like singular works of, you know, human imagination that, that we have today, and I can make it better. And I, I, I sort of think that like, I, I, I'd love to imagine, I tried to find some interviews with him, and I think a lot of people just by the time the 13th Warrior came out, I think a lot of people attached to it just were not really talking about it. But I'd be really curious to know if with 13th Warrior, he sort of felt like, you know, if Eaters of the Dead was him being like, I can make Beowulf even better. If on some level with this one, he was kind of like, I can do like the better kind of ancient epic movie, you know, this genre that had been around for a while, but had been dormant for a while. Um, because there, there are parts of the movie, I guess weirdly a lot of the stuff with Antonio Banderas's character, there's just a little bit of this nudging towards, oh, like, okay, this guy is a Muslim. What would that be like for him in this kind of cultural arena with these pagans, with the Vikings? There's just enough of that that as a kid, I was like, this is amazing. This is mind-blowing. And now as an adult, I'm kind of like, I, I don't think a lot of this is really mapped in very well to, to what's actually going well, but on. Was, in but in the book, I, I've not read the book. You've read the book. I So I don't know about you guys, but this film clocks in at a little over 90 minutes long. Um, so it feels like it's been kind of gutted in the editing room. I, generally speaking, Kenny, I think you would agree. Most of the movies that we watch, I don't necessarily say this should be longer, but like mm -hmm. this movie does feel like it, it kind of, it throws you in the deep end really from the jump. And it, it's, there's a real lack of nuance in what you're talking about, Darren, in terms of this yeah. culture clash that exists between these between these Vikings and this Muslim man. Also, spoiler, Antonio Banderas, not a Muslim. Uh, so <laughs> we, we, we should probably say uh, that the, that's problematic. The, the eyeshadow... Uh, which Eyeliner, is a, yeah. Eyeliner, yeah. Which between this and the mummy, I just, I feel like this yes. is one of those yes. like, oh, yeah. like suddenly the 20th century seems very far away indeed. Correct, correct. <laughs> There's something even like... <sighs> I mean, I, I I really took the mummy to task when we did that. You did because uh, I don't really like uh, I don't really like 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 I don't like like crypt robbing shit. Like I think like I I just think that's kind of gross to me. Um, okay, you know, including like Indiana Jones, but no uh, France, no Die Hard two, no crypt robbing. We're, we're correct. Wait, wait, wait. We're, I didn't say no Die Hard two. He said Die Hard three better than one. That was which his it is. Take. That's crazy. I'll tell you the whole thing. Uh, I love Die Hard 1, love Die Hard 3 more. Uh, dislike France, dislike England more. You know what he um, also doesn't like? The other 1999 John McTiernan film, The Thomas Crown Affair. Don't like Thomas Crown at all. Very I, bad I, film. I, very fun film. Like The Mummy more than Thomas Crown. Uh, but I think that... If, I, 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 I think, so National Treasure... 
That is her magnum opus. That's all she's I'm going to say. She's great in that movie. Totally. I don't know. Have you ever seen Tin Cup? She is great um, in Tin Cup. That is great. <laughs> Russo is a natural treasure. You ever seen uh, Nightcrawler? Uh, you ever that seen... is the Holy Trilogy. That's the Holy Trinity. And Major League, of course. Um, but Holy <laughs> Quadrilogy. Uh, a long way of saying, uh, yes, yes. long way of saying, there are some problematic things going on with this movie with Antonio Banderas playing a Muslim, Muslim, playing an Arab, a Muslim Arab, and he is a Spaniard wearing eyeliner, using his Spanish, uh, Spanish accented English throughout this film. But it is so fucking silly. It is like so over the top silly. Uh, you get over it very fast without even casting his verses on anybody. It's, I mean, it. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's so, it's just so it's bizarre. So, it's just it's ridiculous. so stupid. Yeah, it's like it's such a, it's such a like a goof on a goof on a goof <laughs> that it's and like Omar Sharif plays like his you know buddy, yeah, buddy. Uh, but like if they cast a a an actual Muslim Arab in that role as you know they perhaps should have, it almost would have been an insult to that actor because this movie's so silly. It's it, a, it's a silly. But would you? I, I don't. I, I don't disagree that it's a silly, silly movie. But I also, to sort of my my point earlier, I think they've removed the stuff that might not have made it silly. Like there's a part of me that feels like at a certain point they were like, okay, this movie's hemorrhaging money. It's cost us a bazillion dollars. Let's just fucking get this thing short. Let's get as many screenings as we can for the first couple of weeks and hopefully we can make some of our money back. And I think that they pulled a lot of the the substance from this movie. So what you're kind of left with is just sort of vestiges and like action sequences um, which are very yeah. well orchestrated, and, but I mean that's kind of it. And we should uh, the 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 one thing that is pretty well done are the action sequences, are the fights. Yes. Uh, yes, but particularly the one in the cave looks amazing and is really awesome. exciting and thrilling. Uh, this is shot in a real cave. If they shot in a real cave, I, I mean, if, like that's fucking nuts. Like, it, I mean, it, usually if they you did every. It. If they did everything you did uh, in an effort to make some money, they failed because right. this is the biggest box office bomb of 1999, and uh, some consider it the biggest box office bomb of all time. <laughs> which is, which no. I think it's amazing because no one ever talks about it like that. Do you know what? I, like no one ever talks about it. Period. This is like cutthroat. This, this isn't cutthroat island, right? Like this movie doesn't exist, Aaron, and it potentially lost a studio almost 120 million dollars. <laughs> Let me let me ask a quick question here. Just I'm I'm putting all this together in the same way that a few times in this movie the camera cuts to Antonio Banderas as he is kind of figuring (laughs) stuff out. Like I think there's one. I I mean, you guys are storytellers, so maybe you feel like there's one scene where you're just like, "Wow, this must have been a rewrite on the set that day." Yeah, where he just kind of is looking around and says, "They think they're bears. Where did bears go?" And it's like, "How?" How are you putting together an entire? I love it so much. That's, that's pretty good stuff. That's like, pretty good like stuff. that's that, so. So there's a few moments like that, but I'm, I'm I'm doing that now. I'm listening to you guys talk, but I also I'm realizing. Yeah, please, please. It sounds to me like you two had not seen this movie. No, never before. seen this movie. Never this saw this film. Before. Is that correct? Today. Correct. So let me. That was your. That's that was your. They think they're Barrett's moment. Let me. Let me tell you. Yeah, I like. I, okay, they think they're bears. Uh, let me bring you guys into my cave. Yeah, for a please. Here, if that's okay, let's 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 jump over the waterfall. Let's go down into yeah. where the yeah, fertility let's do it. goddess. Just mother. just keep your yeah, keep your poison claw to yourself. All right. So, in 1999, 
I saw this movie in theaters. Uh, I guess I was one of a hundred people around the world who saw it in theaters. <laughs> the box office. Uh, I saw it with my mom, who was excited because she read that Omar Sharif was in it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I assume after after the third scene, she was kind of like, "When is Omar Sharif well, going to be any, coming back?" Any Beowulf retelling is a great mother son movie to begin with. <laughs> No. For, for some reason, they didn't really oversell the whole Beowulf thing, which is too it bad because uh, that that like um, I, I do think that like if you look at this as a like Beowulf reboot, which is not language I think anyone should use with the movie, you're kind of like okay, there's you're doing some fun stuff here, Crichton, with you know instead of the monsters, they're mm-hmm. Neanderthal or Cro-Magnon or some kind of lost mm-hmm. you know generation of people. Um, but in 1999, when this came out, I saw it in a movie theater and I walked out and I said, that is one of the best movies ever made. And I often <laughs> thought about how much I liked the movie uh-huh. over the next few years because nobody else talked That's about so it. so interesting. As, as you were saying, yeah. Phil, it just seemed totally lost. Then one day on TV, would have been late 2003, it was playing. I turned it on. I said, this is not good. What was I thinking? And I turned it off and I have not watched it again since then. And thinking about that, watching it this go round, first time I've watched it all the way through in like 22 years, I think what changed was when this movie came out, you know, there just hadn't really been a lot of films like it. You know, you can kind of say that it was taking that kind of mud swept battle footage style from something like Henry V or, you know, Braveheart. Braveheart certainly was a preeminent one, but even that kind of felt like a more recent, this is kind of that ancient epic Oh, yes, 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 yes. And and then it's kind of like right after this comes out, a year later, you have Gladiator. The year after that, you know, you have in the fantasy realm, like Lord of the Rings. There are some parts of this movie where the mist monsters are coming, where I swear the soundtrack almost kind of sounds like the kind of battle Urukai soundtrack from the Lord of the Rings. So just, you're kind of like, this was kind of right there at the start. And I think if you wanted a movie like that, and I loved Viking stuff, I loved Norse mythology, that really spoke to me as a kid. And then it was just right after that, all the better versions came out. There was not much reason to revisit this, which besides, as you said, some cool filming locations, the fact they actually built that whole village, I think, was really cool and certainly feels nice today. But it was just like it immediately felt very old fashioned by comparison to something like Gladiator or just even even the kind of post Gladiator, post Lord of the Rings wave of ancient, real or fantastical movies. Those all just felt like for a lot of different reasons, there was more going on with them than certainly there was here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. because we, we 99 was the fulcrum point for so many types of films. Um, where you'll see things like, uh, you know, you'll see the, you'll see Blair Witch in the beginning of the year and Haunting in the end of the year. You'll see, you'll say essentially like, all right, out with the old and with the new, here we are. And you see it with Matrix and something like 13th Floor, where that was something that looks very lawnmower, 13th Floor looks very lawnmower man-ish and, and they didn't get the, the new technology that they made with Matrix and that kind of stuff. We haven't seen it with this kind of, um, this kind of historical epic type thing. Yet, uh, and I think you you nailed it, Darren. I do think that that in the, the coming years, really, really good directors. And I don't. Gladiators really, two thousand, right? So it's like six yeah, months. Yeah, literally yeah, in yeah. production while this is. While and this I'm is not trying out to, and flopping. Yeah, I'm not trying to throw shade at McTiernan, who I think is a really, really good director, but uh, he's not the, like the visual wizard that really Scott or Peter Jackson is. Mm-hmm. And I think that. 
that kind of uh, scope and understanding of practical sets and understanding of Mexican CGI with practical sets and uh, the ability to have, frankly, multiple characters with multiple storylines going on at one time without getting completely lost. Because I don't know who the fuck any of these guys are, particularly yeah. particularly the uh, the 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 Norsemen. Um, well, they're also they're I, all covered in dirt too, right? So like you've got yes. everyone's just like the yes. dirt men, yes, the yeah, blonde dirt like men. Dirty blonde. I men. think that that I, I I do think that this this does feel a little bit like uh, at the time no one liked this obviously, but um, but yeah, very soon after you were shown a way to do this in a modern setting that that lasts more or less up until today. I mean, it lasts up until the you know the Green Knight. So it's yeah. this yeah. is this is still a this is still a viable mod. I didn't do well, but that's not really the point. This is a viable modern type of movie mm-hmm. that I think we thought, saw the last kind of death throws of with this particular film. Um, I and agree. I think it's interesting that I don't know how I don't know how old you were in '99, Darren, but I think it was interesting that you left this movie saying this is one of the best movies ever made because for you at the time, you probably didn't see a lot of movies like this on the big screen. You know, there, there had certainly not been a lot of movies like this in theaters. Like, I, I think I saw Brave in, in the you know, second half of the nineties for sure. Yeah, I was, I was like fourteen, and this was kind of like right at that moment of, you know, I mean, even the idea of a big historical epic, you know, it was kind of so few and far between before this. Um, mixed with the fact that I think a thing I liked about the movie at the time. And that I still almost like about it, what you guys are describing as, you know, it's sort of so cut to the bone and like, mm-hmm. you know, Diane Venora, who's a real, like, yeah. an, an actual performer, she's in it so little where you're just like, there must have been more with her. Mm-hmm. There's all this stuff with the local king where you're like, there must have been more there that's all lost. I think the fact that it was so cut to the bone mm-hmm. That felt like more of a choice to me at the time. Like I was like, okay, like sure. yeah, there's there's the tall Viking. He's tall. He's quiet. Like literally in the end credits, most of the Vikings have little parenthetical descriptions next to them, so you even barely know who they are. Like I think what I perceived as minimalism at the time now just feels like you know there's not a lot of relationships here. Yeah. Besides, besides, I will say there's the one really peppy Viking guy. Uh, <laughs> I believe he's actually credited as Herger parentheses the joyous played by Dennis Storhoy. I really like him. I think sure. like I almost wonder if if they, if they just cut is. out everybody else and filmed yeah. more with him in the region. Herger the joyous is he the guy who cuts off the guy's head in that bat in that like fight? I th- that's yes, yes, that guy's cool. Yes. Yeah, that guy seemed to have a relationship with uh, with Antonio Banderas. Correct. That's Correct. the and only relationship yes. Yes, to only really grasp onto yeah. in the movie. Yeah. And, yeah. and I assume, like you know, just thinking about every other movie like this, as big as they get, the best ones do seem to have these like pivotal, you know, mm-hmm. one, two, three person dynamics. And in this movie, yeah, it's kind of just that guy making fun of, but also liking Antonio Banderas. Like that's kind of the only thing you can really grasp onto on a on a personal. Oh, totally. Level. Um, I want to give a little context for our listeners after 45 minutes because that's the best time to give context. Um, the synopsis is a Muslim ambassador exiled from his homeland, Ahmed Iban Fadlan, I believe. I don't know how you pronounce it. My apologies. Uh, I like the Tony- idea. I love the idea that they had ambassadors all the way back. Then. Yeah, sure. Uh, what, what, what's he going to do? Send carrier pigeon back with the news? 
Uh, All right, moving on. The company of Vikings, with the beha- uh, while the behavior of the Norsemen initially offends him, the more cultured outsider grows to the respect to respect the tough, if uncouth warriors. During their travels together, uh, he and the Vikings get word of the evil presence closing in, and they must fight the frightening, formidable force which is previously thought to exist only in legend. The 13th Warrior opened on August 27th, 1999 against the Sixth Sense Runaway Bride, Bowfinger, and Mickey Blue Eyes. Uh, it would go on to make $61 million on a $160 million budget. Uh, it's got 33% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 66 from audiences. Ebert gave it one and a half stars, saying, Arriving at last, more than a year after it was completed, the 13th Warrior shows every sign of a production run amok with a budget said to be more than $100 million. It displays a lot of cash on screen, but little thought. To extract the story from the endless scenes of action and carnage is more effort than it's worth. Uh, the film seems to have been convinc- uh, conceived from the special effects on down instead of beginning with a good story, then adding FX as needed. It apparently began with FX, and then the story was shoehorned onto it as pauses in the action. I don't agree with that. But anyway, uh, it could have been different. This could indeed have been a fascinating tale based on Eaters of the Dead, a 1974 novel by Michael Crichton. The story combines two intriguing sources. One, the real-life adventures of Fodlan, uh, a Muslim poet who traveled north to the Viking lands in the 10th century, and the other is the old English epic poem Beowulf. Um, the other review that I think is kind of amazing is Lisa Schwartzbaum of Entertainment yes, Weekly. Yes, yes, yes. I just pulled that up on my phone. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Please. I was. I, I was. I was gonna. You know. She, she uh, loved it. She gave it an A minus. Called yeah. it the most unexpectedly audacious, exhilarating, and wildly creative adventure film I've seen in ages. Uh, so listen, uh, your cohorts at Entertainment Weekly, Darren, think similarly to you. As a 13-year-old. <laughs> I'm so glad you bring this up because yeah. when I left the theater, and again, mm-hmm. when I said to myself, well, this is one of the best movies ever made, yeah. and I looked at like all the reviews that were being written about the movie, waiting yeah. for someone else to say, this movie is amazing, <laughs> disappointed by literally everyone from local newspaper critic sure. up to Roger Ebert, mm-hmm. and then I opened my copy of Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> And Lisa Schwartzbaum felt to me like she nailed it. She has this she has is, a this is your personal says, origin story. It's it's why says, you work at Entertainment Weekly. Oh, I mean, listen, Lisa Schwartzbaum. That was the era where, like, her and Owen Lieberman, like, what they were saying was fully like sure. forming my brain in every way. But yep. she just she describes the, the the storytelling style of the movie as pontillistic, nearly word free, and I think <laughs> like, that's, that's how intentional. It that's how it hit me at the time. And, and I still feel that way at times in the movie. I think mainly with, um, I got to look at this guy's names because they're all like, you know, Central Europeans or whatever. Yeah. The guy who plays, uh, I guess he's basically the Beowulf character, the kind of lead chieftain of the, yeah, the, the big guys fellow. that Antonio Banderas finds, finds himself traveling with, uh, played by Vladimir Kulich. The idea of a movie where it's an adventure and your main character, Antonio Banderas, is not ultimately the hero of the movie. And you ultimately figure out, like, we're actually seeing this huge event through this main character's eyes. I think that's actually really interesting. I, I couldn't think of a lot of other movies like that. And I do think that he, the guy playing Beowulf, is kind of awesome. It's almost like yeah. whenever he's on screen, I'm like, you have that rough-edged quality where you seem like you were carved out of stone just to be in this movie. And, you know, I kind of feel like when you look at something both less expensive but more stylistically intense, like Valhalla Rising, the movie from years later sure. by Nicholas Winding Refn, like, that's kind of like, that is that just extricated and made into a whole movie without 
a lot of the shaky dialogue and storytelling in 13 four years. So I, I still feel that a little bit. Do you guys feel that at all? Or is it just no, I, silly I, other stuff with? I think I liked this film a little bit more than Kenny, but I, I will also say that I just had a really hard time locking into it. Yeah. It just, I, I just found it a, a bit of a struggle to sort of really figure out who I was supposed, outside of Antonio Banderas and Omar Sharif. I, I agree with Kenny in the sense that it's kind of an ocean of, of Nordsmen that I'm just sort of like, I don't know how I'm supposed to be feeling or connecting to, to you individually. But that guy, I did lock into and I did like him, but you know, take that for what it's worth. I think there was a, there was a moment where I was definitely lot. So for the most part, Phil, I agree with you. Like I found the movie somewhat impenetrable. Yeah. Um, there was a yeah. moment where I, and I think it was in that, the, the cave with a bear fight where I was very much into it. I, I, I was like, uh, uh, do I like this movie? Is this going to be a great movie? I don't, I absolutely do not hate this movie. Yeah, far, yeah. far yeah. from it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have hated a lot, hated some movies a lot more. <laughs> I think it goes far. I, I, I think it does not stick the ending. Mm-hmm. Sit the landing uh, at all? Do you like but, this more or less than the Thomas Crown Affair? <sighs> That's a, <laughs> it's an interesting question. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Kenny's, because the, Kenny's putting on his Kenny, hat. He's taking his briefcase into the art taking, gallery he's now. Sure. He's opening oh, his briefcase. Let me get back to you on that one. All right, so uh, I, I've, I've thought a lot about the Thomas Crown Affair one because I think I was trying to impress our guest that episode with how much I hated it because yeah. we all hated it. Thomas Crown, it's more real, than anything, real, I'm uh, just brutally episode. disappointed. I'm brutally disappointed by that film. I think that film has all the elements to be an AA+. It's so pitched directly towards me. It has actors I love. Uh, heists are probably my favorite subgenre of film. I particularly love art heist. Um, I love the lo- locales. I love the gadgets. I love the I, I, I love the concept of that movie so much. Sure. And I like the Steve McQueen version. So I I I in general like I'm very primed for a movie like that. And when it comes out and I think it just uh makes no sense and misses all its opportunities, it's a shame and I really was just kind of hurt by it. That being said, um this movie's the exact opposite. This movie has, <laughs> like I said to you when I saw the log line, Phil, uh, this movie has no elements that would draw me in. Uh, 
Uh, I, I mean, I, I, I like Antonio Banderas not as a uh, Muslim. And I like John McTiernan not as a director of 10th century Norway or wherever he is. Um, I am, I, I'm generally turned off by this kind of swords and horses stuff unless it's just exceptional. And, uh, and, and I, I don't like kind of vulgarity, uh, not yeah, like, like, like vulgarity. Like I don't like big hairy men spitting and cursing and farting, which you don't get a lot of in this film, but it seemed like you were going to get a lot of it. So my expectations for this film, and he came were, and expecting a lot more farting. And I thought it was going to be, I, th- I thought it was, well, you know, Braveheart's a bit of a fart. Epic, it is. A, it which, is like, a I can't epic, handle. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a fart film yeah. and it drives me nuts. But so my, 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 my expectations of this movie were, you know, sub basement. And I thought it was pretty good. And I, and I liked it. My expectations for Thomas Crown, I thought it was going to be one of the best books of 99. And it was, you know, crushingly disappointing. No, you don't think that. You do not believe that. We should have, we should have put, we should have put, so the answer to your question is on our, uh, on our Brianna Ashby print. The answer to your question is I would sooner watch Thomas Crown again. There. Uh, That is without question the one I would put on because I can lock into it. And I think I would be less annoying about it this time around. Well, Darren, now I'm curious. What are your thoughts, uh, Thomas Cranefair versus uh, Third Tooth Warrior? Well, first of all, in 1999, when I realized that the same guy had directed both of these movies, I, a 14-year-old, said, well, he's the best director of all time. Like, I mean, mind you, this is all I think still before the real rush of great movies in the fall. So that, like, that, like, I would almost say this is the end of me enjoying movies as a kid, right before just the rat-a-tat-tat of Three Kings. Yeah, this was, I mean, this this was before... Like those Schumacher like had eight millimeter and flawless. I mean, like, well, I mean, I'm joking. <laughs> I mean, I just want to say though, these movies were released. Reason. These movies were released two weeks apart. And, and you know, in, in fairness, that's because McTiernan probably felt like he totally disowned Thirteenth Warrior by then. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah. on one hand, I do have this weird feeling that you know, I, I guess I. This is a very nostalgic thing to say. I wish there could be directors now who get these two back-to-back, relatively yes. decent budgeted movies that are so different. Yep. Um, uh, I Ridley also, Scott this year. Well, last Ridley Scott, and Gucci. He's, he's he's the last of he's the last of, of, <laughs> of the bear man. Once, this is a unique year gone, where where things have been held for a year. Yeah. 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 I. But it's funny with both movies, which I both basically <laughs> like. Um, yeah. I do have a feeling that like, you know, McTiernan, who was very good at this sort of, you know, straight up muscular, but usually kind of sneakily funny and witty action movie. In both cases, I'm kind of like, okay, you're taking on a certain genre and it feels to me like the genre is kind of beating you in a way that like yeah. the Thomas Crown Affair, which right. I really like, and I like the dynamic of Pierce Brosnan and Rene Russo. I always feel like, you know, this needs to have like a little bit more flavor to it, like more romantic or more, more something with this one. I think it really comes alive in the action sequences. Um, and I do think that bizarrely he's kind of best with some of the characters who have the least to do. Like, again, like I like the Beowulf guy and he, you know, ultimately kind of dominates the movie in the last 20 minutes after just being a very remote figure before then. So I, you know, you sort of left feeling like there was something here, maybe. I will say, too, I love Viking stuff. I'm a sucker for it. 
I watched, watched like 80% of the TV show Vikings I was and say, very much enjoyed it. You Vikings fan? I was, I was the ask the you Beowulf guy was on Vikings at one point, I think, no, as well, one yeah. of the hundred bearded people, and Makes that sense. was very enjoyable. Um, so in that sense, I, I'm kind of a cheap date for that. I guess I'm as cheap a date for this as Kenny <laughs> would theoretically be for the elements of Thomas Crown yeah. affair. For, yes. Um, uh, but I have, Darren, I have a question as a, uh, a Viking guy. Because um, I was looking at this, Viking films uh, have not historically done very well. Oh no! And nor critically or commercially. But uh, is there is there a seminal or or some seminal Viking movies that I'm just kind of missing? Bizarrely, I I still think in a way Valhalla Rising, certainly in the 21st century, is the best. I mean, that is a Nicholas Winding Refn movie to an extreme, and it's a lot of Mads Mikkelsen just hallucinatorily killing people. Um, But, you know, then you have the Vikings TV show, which was a success. And then you could sort of make the argument that the Thor movies, just by virtue of their kind right. of Nordic backdrop or tapping into that. Yeah. Um, but Can I, I also I say, say that I'm very excited for Robert Eggers film, which is supposed to come out next year. The Northman. The Northman. Which, Alex Sarsgaard, Nicole Kidman, Bjork. I'm like, yes, Bjork well, is back. And I, 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 it's funny. I assume knowing nothing about the movie, except for the cast layout and the, the director, yeah. which is all, all good. All sounds good. I assume that will probably be, if not wordless, then certainly, you know, on that same kind of lighthouse witch level of you're sort of parsing out what people are saying Mm -hmm. as you go. And Mm -hmm. I think that like a certain austerity and a certain lack of understanding what's going on kind of has to come with a Viking story because that culture is just so remote. This is one thing that I wanted to ask you guys, actually, because I still went back and forth on this. Is it interesting that in this movie the main normal character, like the guy we're with, who's like the normal person from a civilization where you're just like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I know where he's coming from is the Muslim guy. Yep. And I the weird, weird, the kind of weirdo misfits that he's trying to understand are like these, these Nordic, you know, white, tall, totally impossible to fathom people. I was kind of like, I, I found that interesting. I wasn't sure how well the movie kind of carried that forward, but I, I do well, feel like that is an interesting approach to a Viking story. In, in no, I, I agree. I, I I found that the first, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes of this film were very reminiscent of Lawrence of Arabia, where mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, okay. I mean, maybe that's what, you know, pulled John McTiernan in to a certain degree that it's sort of this, you know, culture clash and it's this, you know, this man who's trying to learn about a different, uh, you know, a, a different culture. Um, but that stuff is all pretty much scrapped before the half, before the half an hour mark of, of the film, essentially. Um, I wonder if there were more tendrils of that in earlier cuts. I don't know. But then it really just becomes a very muscular action film. And, and it should be said, he directs it incredibly well. You feel the toll of these battles, um, you know, physically, emotionally, and what have you. They're bloody. They're brutal. Um, you feel like you can literally feel the weight of their weapons. Like it all just feels really uh, grounded and, and brutal. Um, I love all the stuff in the cave that Kenny mentioned at the end so much so that I was just like, I wish that this entire film was subterranean. Like I wish the whole film was in these Ooh, caves. Like that would have like just been the descent for, for right, Vikings. but with Vikings, <laughs> yeah. like something like that. You know. You know what I'm Yeah. I think uh, just in response to what you're saying, um, 
theoretically the idea of an Arab man going to the north to have this almost reverse Lawrence of Arabia thing uh, is interesting, but he's not outside of, you know, the first moment where you see him in, in, uh, I guess, some sort of Arab country. He's not coded as Arab at all. I mean, he wears the kafia, but he uh, takes it off. That's how you know he becomes a cool dude. Right. And uh, this and this is getting he, into the, the 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 reasons why the movie is not a cool culture clash. Movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, yeah. it well, it's it's he's 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 coded maybe as Antonio Banderas, but mostly he's just kind of coded as uh, as like an American or a European. And uh, I think that again, in it, this is going to sound kind of damning with fame praise. Obviously, this film is ambitious. But there's nothing ambitious about the storytelling and there's nothing ambitious thematically about what they're doing here. So I, in, in a more ambitious movie where I felt like they were trying to make some kind of comment about the culture clash, I would be more insulted than I am in this movie, which just seems to have found a real-life historical figure they can hang this film on. Because he was yeah. a real-life guy um, yeah. who really a did totally kind fascinating of travel. Guy, where you're like, like yeah. the, this guy's life could have sustained... A much larger, you know, Dr. Zhivago-esque, you know, yep. decades of time covered. So you're right. There is that sense of, like, we're taking this guy. And it really, you know, the more you talk about this, the more I realize he's so not an active participant. No. In a way. It's kind of like, it's like, you know, we're following along with the fifth or sixth most important warrior of, of this sort <laughs> I'd of... I'd say he's the 13th most important warrior. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I wanted uh, to, to comment on what you're saying, Darren, and, and you as well, Kenny. But like this idea that this real life person who is a fascinating was a fascinating person in his own right is being used essentially as a tool for Michael Crichton to quote unquote make Beowulf cool is just like <laughs> what are we what are we doing? Like it's some weird exercise. And and I think that part of the problem with the film as well, you know, they changed the title. It's the the book's name is Eaters of the Dead, which, by the way, is a much better title. It's much more interesting. Why wouldn't you want to go see a film that's called Eaters of the Dead? I mean, I guess it sounds like a horror film, and maybe they were scared that it would scare people away. I don't know, but my my point more than anything is just it feels as though there just wasn't a fully coalesced like what are we trying to do and say a with the book, which I have not read, but sounds like some weird, you know literary exercise that Crichton took upon himself. And then a film adaptation of that, which feels more like Crichton's the hottest thing in the world right now. We should just adapt everything that he's yeah. done, even if this might not be adaptable or, or worthy of adapting. The, the, the book, I, I, I should clarify, in my memory, of it, it is meant to be this sort of faux historical, Document. like right. you're kind of reading um, the Antonio Banderas character's actual historical writings with mm-hmm. some scholarly, fake scholarly works like attached to it. So it's even a little bit more of a exercise in historiography. Say, so really not fun to read. Well, I, again, you're just kind of like, like in terms of making, like if you wanted to make the Beowulf poem seem super fun by comparison, <laughs> like I, 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 I would say maybe Eaters of the Dead sure, is the sure. way to go. But um it's funny because what you're saying, I, I'm thinking about how I almost wonder if this battle is being waged in the making of the movie where, mm-hmm. you know, you have these moments like uh, Antonio Banderas uh, uh, praying towards Mecca and even like tiny little things that feel very Michael Crichton to me where it's like you learn 
that at, that for his wounds they're putting like cow urine on him yeah. or something. Yep. Those little kind of historical details, which then get mixed up in you know, again the kind of predator with Vikings version of the movie. Yep. And yep. neither of those really seem to be connecting. There's not enough of the cultural atmosphere to dig into, mm-hmm. and there's not quite the same propulsion on on the action side. That said, I mean, man, there are just some shots of oh, where yeah. like all the kind of warriors are kind of running across the the village, which to me, like maybe just watching it now after so many years of digital stuff, the village yeah. feels like a really real place where you're very aware of just how close these guys are coming to the throne room. We are just like this, you know, McTiernan is still staging this effectively, but yeah, there's not well, I, certainly, yeah. certainly no ambition in like, what are we staging here? And even how are we coherently telling this action story? Well, there's two That's things really, that, come yeah. to, that come to mind to what you're saying. The first is I, I would actually say short of the, really bad CG boat stuff when they're out on the ocean. The which first is like, shot! The first which shot! Is brutally bad, and then they cut back to it later. Other than that, this movie is very tactile. It's it's all in camera for the most part, which again, very expensive. So whenever you're actually doing this stuff, it obviously gets much more expensive. Um, but but adds so much more weight and, and realism to it. The other thing that I, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't quote is Omar Sharif's quote about temporarily retiring after this film where he (laughs) said after my small role in the 13th warrior I said to myself let us stop this nonsense these meal tickets that we do because it pays well I thought unless I will unless I find a stupendous film that I love and that makes me want to leave home to do I will stop bad pictures are very humiliating I was really sick it is uh, it is terrifying to have to do the dialogue from bad scripts to face a director who does not know what he's doing in a film so bad that it's not even worth exploring um that's a that's obviously a very harsh take from from Omar Sharif, but I do think it's worth noting that you know this is a this is a a classic actor who <laughs> is is you know probably not ready for a film of this kind of physical what have you, um, but at the same time, I mean, he makes a good point. You know, it's, let's, it's let us stop really, this nonsense. It's really hard for me to imagine somebody who had worked with David Lean on some of the most incredible sequences in movie history. Like his role in the movie is to sort of be the translator for, you know, it's kind of the the Basil exposition guy and just kind of popping up at the start to explain things. Yeah, I I can imagine him feeling a little bit like where have, where has this whole apparatus kind of gone wrong? Um, The translator between all these people who speak English with different accents. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We haven't even talked about the accents yet. I'm convinced like one of the Vikings seems to be Scottish. Like and one of them, they none of them got on the same page with what's our fake Scandinavian accent going to be here. Well, I oh would argue gosh. that I'm not. I'm not even really sure uh, what Antonio Banderas's accent is in this film. I mean, he's kind of just doing Antonio Banderas, right? Like he he has not really modulated it, but there's moments when it feels like he's trying to. Did you guys get any sense of of an accent from him? No. Who's the only- <laughs> He must have been told different things <laughs> by the different directors, or just, or, or just like over the course of the year of film. It, 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 that's that's some mission drift there that Correct. just nobody really had <laughs> had a handle on for sure. 
Um, I also just want to just quickly talk about the cave for a quick second. The cave scenes were were filmed all on location at uh, in a in a cave apparently um, that measured ten thousand meters squared high, two hundred meters long, fifty meters wide, twenty meters tall. Like it, it was this just basically this unbelievable real cave. I mean, and it looks it. I mean, this is the stuff about shooting on location, which you know, Kenny and I both know exceedingly more expensive to shoot on location than just tend to shoot on stages. Uh, there's a reason why you would build this this fucking cave in a stage where you can control your elements and you don't have to schlep hundreds of people inside a cave to shoot. Um, but it it, it it looks great, right? Like, you, yeah. you can't touch it. So I understand why they did it, but, I mean, unbelievable. Uh, it, have you guys found generally, I mean, especially just looking at so many movies from this year, like, as I'm getting older, I do feel like there are certain, like, circa late 90s basic aspects of film craft that are just so lost now or have gone so digital that like, I feel like it's, it's really repositioned my view on a lot of movies with this movie, especially. I mean, you know, I think there are, there are some scenes that are very indifferently shot. There's just a lot of close-ups on Antonio Banderas having the same confused look on his face, which, which probably, probably was him being generally confused. But then <laughs> How you get to I a get scene here? like that and you're just like, God, this is so awesome. And yeah. feels like something I am not going to see again. Or if, if I do, it's going to be in a very, reduced circumstance so well, it's, i guess I, I the cave stuff for me anyway really sort of made me think like you know how there is basically five directors maybe that nolan basically being one of them right where they're just like i demand that we go to these places and that we shoot and and you're gonna feel as though you've been transported to a, a place um studios don't want to do it it's expensive and they don't think there, that they need to there's another reason uh, it's it, it. It used to be required, uh, but now the movie is the movie isn't made on set. The movie's made in post, and it's very brave to go out and Correct. build everything and do everything in camera like that. Um, and potentially screw it up and potentially, you know, like kind of miss your shot or miss your moment or have to rebuild something or whatever. Uh, now you, you can try 500 different fucking things before for the same amount of money or less. And, uh, you do lose that, that tactileness. It's that, and it's, you know, it's the same shit everyone bitches about. It's, it's, I miss the grain. Miss the shit the, yeah. out of the grain. You miss the grain. You miss just it. I don't know. Listen, there there are some incredible special effects out there. I'm sure I have been fooled by special effects more times than I can count in terms of thinking that something is real when it isn't. So I, I'm not I'm not sitting here and saying that people that work in special effects aren't artists in their own right because they are and they do amazing work. No, they're um, wizards. They're, they are they're, right. They're, like, they're, they're wizards. Just, but... it's, it's an unbelievable thing. But I, to your point, Kenny, it's just like. You feel it, right? You the, feel the, like you're there. The the thing I lament, and I understand what's happened, and I've been on show. I, dude, I was on a show where we shot fucking, where we shot New York streets inside a soundstage in Atlanta. So, like, I get all of this shit. Yeah. But um, the thing I lament is the idea that that special effects went stopped being things that were unachievable in the real world and started being used for things that are achievable in the real world. Right. And that's the thing that that's that kind of feels wrong and weird and kind of ugly to me. I you agree. know, and I've seen it I've seen all the um 
all the demos and it's truly amazing. And it's the kind of the, the one that kind of blew me away and, and it's so stupid, but it's just, this is, this is when we were going to get demo of all the things you could do with green screen and why you never need to leave your fucking green screen ever again yeah. was they shot, uh, they, they, they remember the Josh Gad show 1600 pen. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. They would shoot on the white house lawn and it was all green screen and no one knew it looked incredible. That's but, pretty amazing. It, but you know, I, I, I give my point to Tyler Perry going and building a fucking white house. Like that's just so, so much more exciting to me. The idea that there's a, there's a white house model in Atlanta that you can shoot in front of. And that's just so much cooler. Well, can I also say too, as someone, obviously Kenny and I have both been on sets before, when you're sitting there and you're watching the actors performing this, even if it's on a soundstage, you know what I mean? It's a built room it it's just it, you you can't touch it. I I know Kenny and I have been in situations where you've got a partial set and you've got some extensions and you've got some screens that are going to extend it out in order to make it a, feel more whatever. Um, that's one thing. But I have not personally. I can't think of. Maybe I have. If I have, forgive me. Maybe I have on Sleepy Hollow. But point is, when you got an actor standing in front of a screen and they're just flailing around pretending as though they're something is happening around them. I, I don't even it's know how, so how do you even tell if you've got it. How, that's how the, the point I'm making. You, 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 you don't, not. and then you'll fix it later. Yeah, you and don't. It's, it's you know it's what, what what seems like it should it should have to be more precise. You have to be way less precise. Precise, and yeah, it's I, I'm never going to not. I hope have that feeling when I walk onto a set and you actually see the bills and you actually yep. see the things that you imagine to some extent and what an incredible thrill it is. And when you have to go into that green room it's not the same it's not the same um so let's let's rate this film um if you're if you're open to doing so guys um i did not see this film in 99 as we as we discussed Wait, Darren, did you have something else you wanted to say yeah before? i'm sorry i didn't mean to catch off there well just to bring it home it's fascinating to hear you guys actually talk about this as as practitioners who felt the difference between this just like for me like what makes the 13th warrior interesting watching it now is there is so much about it that to me as an adult no longer 14 year old feels very artificial Antonio Banderas's performance in performance him as a Muslim some of the dynamics but then when those scenes just have this incredible tactile feeling to them you know when you kind of get the scenes of all the warriors whose names I, I never know but I kind of know some of them. There's the happy guy. There's the tough guy. Like <laughs> when they're all kind of moving in tandem and just choreographed so well on mm-hmm. these kind of built sets, it's it's weird to feel like, oh, like that really matters to me now. And that almost has gotten better than it would have at the time when I didn't sure. really feel that quite as much. So it's, it's, it's a weird double vision of watching a movie now and almost feeling like, wow, I can see what they do with that today. And I wouldn't like that. And I feel like at least you have that kind of, craftsmanship you know when they're going down towards the cave and they see that bridge and they, they built the bridge like I, I don't know that's that's this weird added credibility the movie has that even as so many other facets of it have fallen in my estimation sure <laughs> somehow that's just risen so much well it's also just I, I forgive me kenny but we talked about oh it was uh message in a bottle where we talked about uh the boat footage and message in a bottle equally uh terrible uh to to mm-hmm. this boat footage uh, yeah, but then a, yeah. a year from now you'll have a perfect storm and you'll see how wolfgang peterson puts the boat in a fucking tank and he does mm-hmm. it properly and obviously there's a lot of cg involved in that as well but we're 
we talk about 99 being a fulcrum point for a myriad of things, but one of the biggest ones, obviously, is special effects, right? And when you look at special effects back then, sometimes they hold up incredibly well, your matrixes, uh, you know, and whatnot, and then some that don't. Uh, you know, I, I personally think there's a lot of good stuff in Phantom Menace, but there's also a lot of stuff that does not hold up well in that as well. But it, it's just fascinating to see how in one year they find a way to do something that they fail at pretty miserably in 99, which is putting people on a fucking boat in the water and making it look realistic. I mean, how Castaway is in, is in 2000 as well. Like, it's just, you got you to put the effort in. And admittedly, yeah. it's just, you know. I mean, they got real good with boats and waters in the early part of the 2000s. Right? Master and Commander. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. they really, they, some, they, they had figured it out on, so on a large scale. But yeah. I, I, I mean, I didn't get to kind of finish my point. Sorry. Because I lost it. No, no, it was like an hour ago. Uh, but the Viking stuff, there's got to be a fucking... There's no way it's Robert Eggers' version. There's got to be... <laughs> not that that's not going to be a great film, yeah, but what yeah. I'm getting at... Yeah. I know There's got to be the Pirates of the Caribbean for Vikings. There's got to be that big, giant epic, because I think what Thor has done... Because I remember thinking... Thor is the silliest possible superhero and they should pretend he was not in the Avengers and they should never bring him in. Uh, and then he's like the third guy in and it's like, so we're, it's like, we're going to do this. We're going to actually like, we're going to do Norse God yeah. uh, superhero, but they kind of killed it beyond right beyond. He's like my favorite character in the MCU. <laughs> so like, I think that they could, I, I, I think that there is a yeah. incredible Viking epic. I agree. Uh, that I think would be awesome and fun, and uh, and I hope it happens. I'm not going to do it. This is this is not that movie, though. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, never saw this in '99. Um, my my knowledge of this film is uh, and and Kenny when when Kenny texted me the log line a few days ago, and I was like, that's what this movie's about. Like I genu- all I knew was it was called Eaters of the Dead. It was based on a Crichton thing. I knew the John McTiernan thing. I knew Antonio Banderas. Uh, I just assumed it was I don't know. I really honestly had no idea what it was. Um, so Kenny texted me that. And I was like, okay. Uh, sat down to watch this uh, yesterday. I did not hate this movie, but as I mentioned, I had a hard time locking into it. I, I, I would before this podcast, I probably would have given it like a sixty-five, um, which is you know healthy. I feel like that's where it's. I think I'm probably down a little bit after this conversation. I think I'm probably at a sixty now. Like I don't think this is a bad movie. Um, I think it's it's pretty well made. Um, it's very well made, in fact, from a technical perspective. Um, I think what's missing for me, and it feels like what's missing for all of us is, you know, a script that we, you know, characters that we really latched on to. It's not that the script is disposable. It's just I sense that there's swaths of stuff that's been taken out of this, that the ballast of this movie has been kind of taken away in order for just like a rip-roaring ride and... That's, what did uh, Diane Venora think when she saw this movie? Like she probably I mean, thought, well, the insider's really good. Thank God the insider's <laughs> coming out. That's the same thing. <laughs> I know it's super weird. The Diane Venora stuff is so weird. Thank goodness, thank goodness. Um, like right yeah. from, I mean, from from famine to feast there with with, with those movies back yeah. in the- <laughs> yeah, crazy. Uh, well, you know, I mean, Antonio Banderas also is crazy in Alabama coming out as directorial. He does. Yeah, so he's in great shape. He's in good shape. Uh, 
a movie I've not seen. I don't even no, know. No, but we will. We will. We'll cover it. Uh, okay. So yes, I, uh, I was prepared to kind of give this movie somewhere in the, the high forties, like a 47, okay. 48 before I, I gave it a 41 after watching it the first time. And my only comment was, I wish there were real bear men. <laughs> um, I'm go. I am going to go to where I want it, where I was planning. I'm going to go to 47. I think. Uh, I think it's almost there. I think it's. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible movie. I would not tell someone to watch it, um, but uh, I'm not upset. I did watch it, and I'm kind of happy that it exists. I think it's a, a. I think it's a plot point that's non-trivial when it comes to the uh, when you when you track this type of big budget epic. And in that respect, it does have some value. What do you think, Darren? In 99, well, what, did, what did you give this in 99, Darren? In, in 99, uh, this was this was probably like a 97. This, this wasn't like a full 100. <laughs> this was probably, a, like, you know, I recognize that like there are probably some things in here that are not so hot. But this was a movie that I really walked away enjoying. I, I think now... Just for how much I enjoyed uh, the 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 funny Viking. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Dennis Storhoy, who I've not seen in anything <laughs> since. Um, I, I, this just feels like a movie that, from a really rough beginning, gets better as it goes, and that just by the end, when you have the sort of Beowulf guy just becoming. What to me is the ultimate interesting thing with a Viking hero is they are not afraid of death because they kind of feel like we're all going to die, right. the whole world's going to die. And there's that weird mix of kind of chummy fatalism, laughing at one's fate with that profound ambition. That's the stuff I lock into. Is it, there's so also I, like their afterlife is like there. there is an afterlife in Nordic culture that is kind of magical in its own right. I guess my point is yes. leaving this realm isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. <laughs> and it's, and it's you know, there, there's permutations of this and, I, and I'm going to butcher it, but it is the idea of in the afterlife, you know, if you've lived a good life and lived a heroic life, you'll go there and you'll get to kind of keep fighting there and mm-hmm. you'll, you'll, you'll fight and drink and have fun and fight. And so I, I, I think there's all this stuff that's really appealing about them just in terms of being so different. Mm-hmm. Like how can they be so boisterous, but also just so bleak? Um, so in that sense, I, it's funny after watching a lot of the movie and feeling like, oh, this is not a very good film, just right at the end with the stuff with the Beowulf guy, I, I was cut, it, it kind of hit me a little bit emotionally. So I, I think this is still, this is still a movie that I would say people should watch. This is like a 71, 72 for me. I think. Okay. Like, okay. This is, and maybe just because, you know, one thing I will say gladiator next year, a movie that I think we can all agree is a better movie than 13, four year. I would agree. The fact that Gladiator starts with this huge, amazing, one of the all-time best battle scenes, mm-hmm. and then kind of in some ways towards the back half for reasons that were kind of beyond its control dwindles a little bit. Like that to me feels like a very new millennium movie where there's not the same build. And I do think sure. that weirdly, not that this movie was composed in an eloquent right. way whatsoever. But it does build. Yeah. There is the sense of a build that <laughs> I really like. I do feel like, you know, it saves its best stuff for Between the Cave and everything. It saves its best stuff for the tail end. So I, well, I mean, I, Gladiator... I that. 
Yeah, Gladiator definitely suffers from kind of a bit of a yeah. lack of momentum to some degree. Uh, there's there's obviously this sort of like this tragedy propulsion going on. There, yeah. but, um, I'm, I'm, so, I've uh, never been crazy about Gladiator, but yeah. uh, I am kind of crazy about Russell Crowe in that movie. So I think yeah. there is that, <laughs> I think there is that, you know, focusing on the hero thing that kind of puts it above this one. But I, I know, want yeah. to stress Russell Crowe in Gladiator is definitely a more entertaining protagonist than Antonio Banderas in. He's not the protagonist. Your ma- your 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 big Uh-oh, your big Norse Beowulf is the protagonist of this film. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, so, so Darren, I am. No, he here. is the protagonist. Sorry, I don't want I don't want people to get me uh, get me confused. I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on the movie that we're covering next week. Okay, uh, uh, we are covering the other sister. Um. Oh you- my gosh! Oh my gosh! This is the Giovanni Ribisi. Juliette movie? Lewis. Oh, <laughs> I feel like Darren just got that punked. Was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those. I was like, you know what? Listen, we, we talked about it for gonna, an hour and a half. Someone's <laughs> got to get asked the question. And Darren, you're you're the guy. Do you have thoughts on the other sister? Have you seen the other sister? Because next I've, week I've, we have Latoya Ferguson on to talk about uh, uh, the other sister. Dying to hear what she has to say. Dying to hear what everyone has to say. I've I, I've not seen the movie. I distinctly recall the trailer, and I distinctly recall reading several things about the movie and uh-huh. being, even at the time, feeling a little bit disturbed, yeah. as if this was something that a lot of people who I trusted seemed very upset about. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm I'm very curious. <laughs> To boy, this is kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have felt this even just over the course of doing yes. this podcast. That like every month we live, 1999 seems to suddenly be like another decade away in terms yep. of what's being made, what kind of stories are being filmed, what was That's, quote unquote okay to make back. Then. What was okay to yeah. make, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very curious to. Mm-hmm. Now I almost like I should watch the movie so I can fully engage with the I episode. Was, I. I think it was definitely one of the films that Kenny and I were were concerned about covering, unsure yeah. how how it would age. Uh, our concerns were well founded. Uh, I think that I think Kenny and I can both agree that uh, the episode's great. Uh, Latoya is an amazing guest, um, but yeah, brave guest, a brave guest. We we all treaded across a minefield to cover uh, the other sister. It's the other sister. It's uh, it's the the irony of the other sister. Of course, is I think it was pitched as about the most down the middle studio romantic comedy possible. And in two thousand and twenty two, without question, it's the movie that Phil and I dreaded doing the most. Um, you know, whereas a movie like what I mean, what crazy ass movie audition we were thrilled about doing. We couldn't <laughs> wait to dive into audition. So yeah. it's perfect blue. You know, I mean, like these crazy ass movies that like would get banned at video stores were like, yes, yes. And everyone in the world is like, these are these are classics. And this is, you know, worth dissecting. The other sister of fucking Gary Marshall movie is the is the (laughs) most transgressive movie of 1999. He's also, as we spoke of earlier, had two films that came out in 1999. He had Runaway Bride and the the King, the King. I mean, I, I, I say transgressive as a joke. But I do think it does challenge you as an audience member to see what you're capable of sitting through because it is, <laughs> it is really kind of a like like a, like a truly disturbing 
a disturbing slice yeah. of where we were um, yeah. at the time. And this whole year, this podcast yes. is about the entire fucking you know, six, the entire six foot sub. And this is a little slice yeah, that's yeah. only like you only have like the pepper and cheeties in there. And you're just like, how did I get a bite with only pepper and cheeties and olives? It's, it's crazy. It's, well, it's, crazy. It's, it's, it's the story of certainly American culture since 1999. This is why just what you guys do, the, the archaeology you're doing here is crucial, <laughs> is almost so many things that were mainstream down the middle then right. have been so inverted and in turn, you know, we live in this age when, you know, let's just take, for for example, the horror genre of the 80s, stuff that would have at one point seemed fringe or certainly weird. You know, that's that's kind of the stuff we make our happy days nostalgia about now. It's just, it's such a bizarre. Stuff I show my I'm, kids. I'm sure you feel that with that movie yeah. in a big way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it was definitely, listen, Kenny and I, when we set out to do all these films, we were going to cover all these films and we've been excited to do so. And I think that it was a uh, truly a fascinating lens with which to look at where we are now. Um, I, I, obviously, I'm glad we covered the episode. It's a great episode. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a tough movie. And it's, and it's always hard to kind of look back and be like, ugh, like, it's it's great that we've learned from it. It's great that this film would never be made today, certainly in the way that it was made back then. But yeah, just a just a fascinating, fascinating, uh, a fascinating little wow. artifact of 1999. That's for sure. Cannot wait, cannot wow. wait. But really, thank you guys. Oh, thank like, you. For oh, Darren, 13 year old me <laughs> has been wanting to talk to at least one other person about 13 Warrior for 22 Listen, years. Now. We couldn't have asked for a, a better guest to talk about 13th Warrior, Seriously. a film that a uh, 160 million dollar movie that doesn't exist. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, want to see hundred million, hundred and sixty million dollars disappear? Poof, poof. Go watch thirteenth. Go Warrior. do. Go watch thirteenth uh, earlier. Yeah, put put it on the poster. Cool cave scene. Very cool. Cave scene. <laughs> That'll we work. Went to the cave. The cave was there. Uh, uh, Darren, amazing. Uh, when you or do you have a you have a screen draft lined up? Uh, always doing something there, but uh, nothing that has been officially announced. However, uh, uh, always want to shout out to Screen Drafts. Uh, the Patreon's always super mm-hmm. active there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a lot of cool stuff coming up uh, over there, which I just like, you know, listen, last couple of years, Screen Drafts for me, besides being on that show, has just been a great thing to kind of, great community of people to kind of uh, dig yeah. into, of which you guys are are, are an amazing, uh, you know, uh, uh, mayoral candidate part of the, the small town that is We're working hard. Screen Drafts Nation. We're electioneering yeah. over here. <laughs> we, I, 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 I do, I mean, half this, you know, like, like a, not a, a very small part of this podcast has become Screen Drafts fanboying because I listen to every single fucking episode. I really, <laughs> truly love it. It's, it's just, it's, it's just such a joy. Time. How do you? Have the I, time? I, in the car, man. Oh, in the car, I drive my kids. I, I drive my kids. It's my their school's twenty five minutes away. Oh my god! Well, and I, I drive them every morning. Yeah. So that, my, uh, that, unless you do, my, it, you know, you yeah, go ahead. I was going to say. Uh, sorry, jump in. My kids just think. 
everything that produces audio only produces the sound of Clay Keller and Ryan Marco <laughs> talking about movies. Like, like car stereo, dead-ass phone. That's yeah. fantastic. Like, you know, Bluetooth speaker, just, just perpetually oh, in the background of fantastic. them living their very young lives. It's, it's just, yeah. you know, people, <laughs> people engaged in a, in a very, very specific way of ranking movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, thank you so so much, Darren, for coming on to talk about this. We we hope we'll you'll come back uh, talk about uh, maybe something from 1989 on our Patreon, perhaps or something yeah. along those lines. But uh, cannot wait. Thank you guys have, for having oh me. Uh, thank you and so again, much. again, really making making young me's dreams come oh. true. That's what Finally we do a podcast about like the happy 1999. One of the best characters yeah. of 1999 cinema. Yeah. Togarth so, the so joyous. Much. <laughs> Darren the Brave. <laughs> Bye, guys. Thanks, guys. One last thing. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.